and and that's what this that's what this is describing in my opinion so so you have oh, i would just quickly say that i think we're all a little bit like that we all can be like that yeah but the idea is that these are traits that you want in elders so if if this is true of you, you you shouldn't be an elder until you grow enough of maturity so that you can see the other person's because a lot of times it's experience in the end run that lets you see that other people have different ways of seeing things and have different experiences from you. Right. And when you can't see things from the other person's point of view ever, and you're always right, you shouldn't be an elder. I, I mean, that's what this is saying. And yet often those people because of force of will or because of dynamic character or whatever end up being an elder and and it, it it's a struggle for the other elders when they're that person's an elder and it's a struggle for the assembly when someone like that becomes an elder they, they have a certain way things need to be done and the only way things are going to be done is the way they want them done because they're not going to budge They're not going to give an inch. They're not. They're not willing to say, you know, hey guys, I, I was too dogmatic on the thing about one wife last week. I I looked it up, did more research, and you know, I don't know that I could be as dogmatic as I was, and I was wrong. And and they're ne you never hear a pugnacious, quick-tempered, um, strike or say something like that. They're always on the defensive. They're always defending themselves or or lashing out at someone else as a defensive maneuver all right going on not not a striker and and so you have two here you have uh or sorry not greedy of filthy lucre there's two that are very similar here um this one means not not a lover of money a man that's not motivated by money or the ability to obtain money through being an elder. The elder must reflect his willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the assembly. The love of money shows a lack of contempt with what God has provided to man. The temptation to use one's position or prestige to gain an unfair financial advantage lurks in every prominent elder's door. The steward of God's household must not seek what rightfully belongs to others. They should not be um, fond of sordid gain. This does not mean that leaders cannot receive financial provisions, however, but what the Bible condemns is the base covetous motive that desires what rightfully belongs to someone else. Elders must be free of all shameful greed. So one of the things that Peter brings up again in his, in his second epistle is that false teachers want to make merchandise of you. They, they're in it for the money. And so they're an elder doesn't have to be in it for the money because there's not always a lot of money involved, but if they're in it for the prestige or in it for what they can gain or in it for the advantages that they're going to get, then they're in it for the wrong reason. And, 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 and so greed should never be a characteristic of an elder in any shape, form, or Comments? Yeah, I agree, Clay. Uh, I've actually heard this used to defeat or to speak against uh, later on in Timothy 
or what we've, we've actually looked at already about uh, the elder um, not to tread, not to muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and uh, the elders that are worthy of double honor. Uh, right. They use this passage to speak against and say, no, you could never pay. And, you know, an elder could never receive financial compensation for the work that they do. And I think that's, again, stretching, trying to stretch the context to fit something that, that uh, isn't there. We're talking about characteristics. And you can tell when someone's in it for what they can get out of it. You can also tell when someone has a true servant's heart and they're and they're and they're serving with all their heart and doing so either as either underemployed or partially employed so they can have more time to to serve the Lord, that to to ignore those the scriptures tell us clearly we're not being good stewards when we ignore those, we muzzle the ox. We do not allow brothers who are involved in the work of the Lord to be supported. <clears throat> Isn't it right that those who sow should, should reap of the harvest that they sow? The, the scriptures are very clear on that. And so, um, but, so we're not talking about whether elders should be supported or not out of this verse. And if you try to use this verse, as Matt said, you're really twisting, I believe, the scriptures. What we're talking about is that someone who always is in it for themselves. For instance, I was there. There's an illustration in one of the books I have where they wanted to change the evening meeting to from like seven to six thirty because it, it's a school night and the children. It'd be better for the children if they got out at seven thirty. You could hang around and talk and then be home by seven thirty or eight to put your children to bed. And one elder, that was inconvenient to him because he ate dinner at 6, and it was going to be hard for him to be there at 6.30. So he held out against changing the time because it wasn't convenient to him. And so this is the attitude that we're talking about. It's about what's best for me, what's what's in it for me, what how, what serves me the best. And that's the attitude that that selfish attitude just cannot be. And if someone's terribly selfish, um, it's going to really, it really affects the assembly. And, and a lot of times it's um, that selfishness spills over in, in the way they treat people and the way they treat their own kids. They're, they're constantly promoting their own kids. They're constantly pushing their kids sometimes who are living lives that should not be given positions or, or be allowed to teach or whatever. But because of greed or self-service, they're constantly pushing family members or friends to the exclusion of those who would be better able or better apt to do something. And it's, it's this idea of greed. It's this idea of, of um, being in it for yourself. And I think that's, that's really what the characteristic here is. You, you would want to think that an elder would never be selfish, but the truth of the matter is that if you choose the wrong one, you know, Scott, I think mentioned um, earlier, or Daniel mentioned that we're, we're all guilty of some of these things. Yeah, selfishness is a terrible thing. If you're very selfish, you just can't be an elder. You just can't be an elder. And so the, the trick is to weed out those who are still very immature in their faith 
or have not grown to be Christ-like. These examples, many of these examples are very Christ-like examples. As we looked at the fruit of the Spirit last week when we started, they're, they're things that are produced by one who is, in, who is walking in the Spirit. Most of these are things that are produced by someone who's walking in the Spirit because you're not pugnacious, you're not greedy if you're walking in the Spirit. So ultimately, I mean, it would have been nice to just say, choose elders that are walking in the Spirit. But he goes much farther than that and goes into pretty much detail so you can have a better idea or picture of what he's talking about. Uh, patient. We've sort of talked about this whole idea of patience um, before. Um, forbearing, gracious, um, conciliatory, someone who can understand something from another point of view, <clears throat> the man who possesses a positive quality of gentleness, stands in vivid contrast to the pugnacious one. So these, these two are in vivid contrast to each other. Someone who's, someone who's patient and gentle is not pugnacious. <coughs> Excuse me. A patient man exhibits a willingness to yield and wait for God to work in the lives of the assembly. One of the, one of the real issues among elders is a, is a need to control. And it wraps up in a number of different ways. <coughs> One of the ways that it wraps up is that you pride's involved, and we're going to get to pride, but pride becomes involved. And it's like a visitor comes to the assembly and something doesn't go quite right, then that reflects on me as an elder. So I want to make sure everything is done decently and in order. And you can quote a scripture that says decently in order. And so because I want everything done decently in order, therefore I have to be in total control. And <clears throat> only certain people can lead the singing or start hymns because they're the only ones I really trust not to say anything wrong or, or say anything unusual. There's certain people who have to be at the door because they're the only people I can trust to, to greet people right. Certain people have to do this because they're the and so. An elder who has a great deal of pride, an elder who doesn't have patience, wants to be in control. And as Galatians points out, is the problem with the Judaizers, is that control then takes the place of the Spirit of God. And, and an elder who's, who's trying to control every little thing that happens is taking the place of the Spirit of God, and he's not allowing the Spirit of God to work because... You know what? The Spirit of God teaches all of us usually through mistakes. And so if, you, you, if you're so in control that there can be no mistakes, and, and patience is part of this picture, because if, if you're, you're, you're patient, you're, you have forbearance, you have gentleness, you're magnanimous, you're peaceable, you're gracious. He's willing to wait for God to do a work. He's willing to wait, allow people to make mistakes so they can learn from their mistakes. He's gracious. He's reasonable. He's considerate. One one who is who is gentle, a uh, gentle and patient, refuses to tell, retaliate in any kind for wrong done by others and does not assist on his personal rights. He pers he pursues God's um, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, and merciful wisdom, as in James three seventeen. He fully expects his under shepherds to shepherd his people the same way he does. And and I think the, the, the thing that has most impressed me is the more I study, 
about the Lord Jesus is that he was gracious, understanding, and patient. And if we are like him, those should be characteristics that we have. And so an elder needs to be that. He needs to be gracious and forbearing and patient. And when we're not, then what happens is we, be, we become controlling, our pride gets in the way, we lack patience, any mistake reflects on us personally as elders, so we don't want that to happen. So in the end, we become suffocating instead of patient and gentle. Kind of as a practical note, I think being very vigilant and having that as a goal for whoever the elders are, when you have somebody that wants to control everything or, or people that want to control everything, it really does stifle the uh, assembly's growth as far as like outreaches go because elders have a busy enough job taking care of the flock, but they can't also can't be teaching Sunday school and planning gospel meetings and things like that. So I think as we're going through this, I think that's a something to bear out. Like that is a quality that I think really can uh, hamper the, uh, especially when it comes to outreach work in an assembly. So we should. It, it, it hampers a lot of things. I, I know early on um, some folks left, a very controlled elder controlled assembly and came to the assembly I was at and we had a we they had a women's retreat which we have in Southern California every year women's retreat I know years ago Palms or Southwest Bible Chapel had a had women's retreat because I think Wendy probably remembers years ago when um it was at, held at Palms one year there was a, a one-day women's retreat at Palms and the person said, I don't know if I should let my wife go. And, and I said, why would you not want your wife to go to the women's retreat? And he goes, well, there's no elders to control her and make sure nothing's said wrong. And it's the idea that you have to be in, so you, you have to be everywhere all the time, just in case something said wrong that you can control it and correct it like immediately. And you're, and, and it couldn't be that you'd hear later that maybe something was said that wasn't right and then correct it. No, you have to be, Johnny on the spot. So you have to be have your finger in every pie. You have to you have to be involved in everything. You can't have a committee without you on it. You can't have because you have to be in control. And then it's very stifling. Nothing gets done. Because then everything depends on his availability and on whether he wants it. And he goes, No, I don't have time for that. Well then guess what? If he doesn't have time for it, it doesn't happen because without him nothing happens in the assembly because he's in such control. So the, that's, but but the the controlling elder usually has more than one of these traits as an issue. I think you made a, a really good point earlier, Clay, about the <clears throat> elder trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit, and and these things that you're describing is exactly that when when they have to be in control then the Holy Spirit can't do its job effectively because now we're looking to another man to be in control rather than the Holy Spirit being in control. You know, oftentimes I've heard from the platform that Christians should be under no other spirit. 
and it's usually <laughs> reference to alcohol. They should never be under the spirit of alcohol. And you can have that point of view if you like. But when men are trying to control every aspect of, of a local church, then they're under then that whole church is under another spirit. And and really that's the message of Galatians. If you read the book of Galatians carefully, that's the very message of Galatians. In the third chapter, Paul says, if you've begun in the spirit, are you going to be completed in the flesh? Well, when man is in control, it's being completed in the flesh. When when your your spiritual growth is dependent on someone's approval, man's approval and not God's, then it, then you're being completed in the flesh. And that's the danger is is unfortunately then dress, comportment, you have to do you have to do it like I see that you need to do it. The spirit can't lead you in a different path than he's led me. So our fellowship isn't based upon life in the, in the Lord Jesus. Our, our fellowship depends on being in agreement with the light that we have. And then it's usually one person, the amount of light one person has, and everybody has to submit to his idea of how much light he has. And that's control. And that's stifling of the spirit of God. And that's not being patient. And that's not allowing the spirit to work. I, I'll give you an instance. And, and I'll give you an instance from my own assembly. Is I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the head covering. And I would be more than willing to teach the subject of head covering. I taught the subject of head covering at, at one point at my assembly. And a brother walked up to me and said, at a different assembly than what I'm at currently. And the brother act, walked up to me and said, well, you didn't tell them they have to wear it. And I go, and, and why would I tell them they have to wear it? The head covering is a symbol of a submitted heart. If they have to wear it, how do I know whether they have a submitted heart or not? Because now I'm forcing them to do something, whether they have, and so it no longer is a symbol. In my own home assembly that I go to now, an elder who passes the bread and the wine will not pass you the bread and the wine if you don't have a head covering on. Because in his mind, you, you must have it on. Well, anytime you force something, now you're working on legalism. Because if the Spirit of God moves you to wear a head covering, I want you to wear a head covering because the Spirit of God moved you, that you saw the scriptures, you, you saw the truth, and you were moved to obedience because the Spirit of God led you to obedience. If my force of will, if my demands force you to obedience, it becomes like the law, it is legalism, because it's no longer an operation of the spirit. It's an operation of the flesh. And that's the danger. And that's why if you get elders who are controlling and demanding, is then they stifle, as, as, as Matthew so well put, they stifle the spirit of God through the whole assembly. I think one, uh, just one instance that comes to my mind <clears throat> is in the preaching of the gospel when we begin to try to explain how to believe or how to repent or how to do this or that. You know, these, how, you try to explain the gospel. God never tells us to explain the gospel. He tells us to preach Christ. And when we, 
when we begin to try to explain or, or really labor the point, uh, we're trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I agree 100%, Clay, that is not something any man can do, regardless of what aspect is that you're teaching or preaching. We're running out of time. I promised Ray I'd try to finish this this week. So I'm trying, Ray. Um, not a brawler, uncontentious, a peaceable man, literally not given to much wine, which results in contentious attitude. If, as someone said, if you're under control of spirit, you're pretty contentious. You're ready to fight at the drop of a hat, so to speak. A man is um, required to be uncontentious, which really means not fighting. This is that is, he is not quarrelsome. God hates division and fighting among his people, yet fighting paralyzes, weakens, and kills many local assemblies. Um, the verse that's on the bottom of my, all my emails, which I, which I strive to try to practice, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, apt to teach, patient with wrong, when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance to leading of the knowledge of the truth. Part of meekness and part of gentleness and part of, of, of patience comes about because I know that I'm not in charge, God is. And that my job is to teach and God's spirit will lead them to truth. I can't lead anyone to truth. I can't force truth on anyone as, as Matt was just saying when we preach the gospel. Our object is to preach, is to teach and it's God who changes minds. I can't change minds. I don't feel defeated when I preach and don't change minds because that's not my responsibility. That's not something I can control. And so one of the things that, that an elder has to understand is he doesn't, he isn't in control. He has to rest on the spirit of God and he must rest that God's the one who changes minds. And that means that you must be patient and gentle and long-suffering, things that, that most people struggle with, to tell you the truth. Long-suffering and patience is not what most of us, we live in a day and age where those are not highly characterized, valued traits, unfortunately. And, and the next one is not covetous, literally not a lover of silver, one who is content with what God has given him. Very, very close to not a lover of money. Lack of contentment often drives men to act in the flesh instead of waiting on God by faith. One who is covetous is not walking in faith, relying on the goodness of God. But godliness with contentment is great gain. A person can covet a position, wealth, power, or anything that is gain. And so this is another one that leads to being in control, is that you're coveting control. You're coveting your, your pride wants to look good and you want to look good and you covet looking good. You covet, you covet the esteem of others. And you think you gain esteem by others by having a, a assembly that's orderly and everybody comes and says, whoa, they're so orderly here. Well, guess what? I'd rather be disorderly and have the spirit in charge than be orderly and have man in charge. Amen. Um, the next one is one that ruleth its own house well. We need to take a little time doing this, uh, talking about this, because that's what the question, I think that's one of the questions we have, actually. So um, ruleth means to stand before, thus to lead or to preside over. It's used a number of times in, in this Greek word, used a number of times. It's not the one used 
in Hebrews about ruling, though. And uh, any man is unable to govern his own children graciously and gravely by maintaining good discipline is not is no man for government in the assembly. An elder is best tested by how well he handles his children, not by how rich, successful, or well-known he may be. A leader may have obedient and submissive children, but not be a spirit-crushing tyrant who gains submission by harsh punishment or unjust oppression. He must control his children in an honorable, respectful, and dignified way. He secures their obedience not by force of will in an observable way. Um, verse 5, for if a man knows not how to rule his own house, um, how shall he take care of the house of God? And that's basically the question here is, um, why would the ability of an elder to rule his own house well be important? If you can't lead your own house, how are you going to lead the flock? And I, I think it's lead. And I know it uses the word rule, but I think I choose to say lead. Yeah, I think lead is is um, to stand before, um, to lead. So, so if, I, if I might on this, uh, it doesn't. I always find it interesting when we get to deacons. It talks about the it talks about their wives, or but in elders, it's actually not one of the qualifications. But yet, it talks about ruling your house. So, I mean, we can say an elder needs to be married with a family. Is that correct? I don't know that that's that's required. But if he does have a household, he better lead. It needs he needs to lead it well. I know Bill McDonald felt that you had to be have a, you had to be married and have children, but I don't know, or at least be married. I don't know that I would believe. I I don't understand it as that. So I'm a young man, so I'll go first. But I want to hear from some of you older ones at Palms. Um, I'll just give my two cents. My experience as a young man trying to grow in Christ uh, and getting married and having a family. God has taught me so much through those two things that I feel had I not gotten married, had I not had children and had that challenge in my life to push me to towards God and his ways of dealing with people. <clears throat> I don't think I could be an elder. I don't think I could be a leader in an assembly without having gone through that. And I personally, it's just my personal opinion, I would be very, very hesitant to want to, you know, recognize a man that does not have children uh, that he's raised. I think the challenge is, is so good for a man. Raising children is challenging. I don't know that not having children disqualifies a person. I, I, I know growing up that when the children got together and talked, you found out more about an elder's home in those conversations than you ever did by walking in the front door and sitting in the pew on Sunday. So you, the challenge with this one is 
how do you see that an elder's not ruling his house well, that he's autocratic, that he's, he's pugnacious, that he's a striker, that he's quick-tempered, that he's easily offended, that he's, he's controlling. All those things that you don't want in the assembly are often displayed in the household. It's that it, it, some men keep it a total secret and you don't know how bad their family life is. Well, I, th I think we need to be involved in one another's lives. That's one weakness I think that we have at Palms is the fact that we are almost a commuter church and we, we don't live in close proximity to one another. We can't really spend as much time as we would want to with one another, but uh, that, so that we could find out these things. But I think that there's another very important point that we need to make at this point at this juncture regarding uh, man managing your own household or uh, caring for your household is that the one of the most important pictures of the church is that it is a family. We are, we are children of God and we, we we're brothers and sisters and uh, our uh, our action within our families is analogous to the way that we will behave within the church. Dave, Wait. what do you think? Sorry, say that again. Dave Walsh, what do you think? He was sleeping. You have to wake him up first. You have to turn your mic on, David. There we go. Raising children or grandchildren, um, you know, you're, you're actually raising people who are looking to you for everything. Your children depend on you for absolutely everything. There's not going to be much in the way of they have more knowledge of you, at least until they're teenagers. In a, ch in a church setting, you may be an elder over people who are far older than you, wiser than you, have more money than you, who look down upon you. Um, if you can't deal with your children without being hostile, how are you going to deal with someone you don't love as much without being hostile? It's, it's experience. You have to, wisdom is experience. It's not, it's not, doesn't come out of a book. It comes out of actually doing and failing. And if there's any parent here who hasn't failed, please come see me because we got a lot to talk about. Um, I don't think you have to have children to be an elder, but I think one who one who does, I think, has an advantage in learning how to manage different temperaments, especially if they come from a large family or a mixed family of boys and girls. They, they have a little more a little more wisdom and tact in how to deal with things. You know, Matt, you, you as a farmer know far more about anything. If there was a problem with something, you would know how to fix it. If you're not used to being in, in a leadership role, because you can't 
your children, you don't want your children to love you because you beat them. You want your children to love you because they love you. Same way you want the people <coughs> of, of the assembly to follow you because you're going in the right direction because they know you have their best interest at heart. Does that help at all? I think Matthew was asking the questions, or yeah, Matt, Matt was asking the questions, right? Yeah, I was just, just interested to hear some other perspectives uh, on that. So, so some of the things you want to watch, as, as Ray said, we're a commuter church. You might not be in their homes. You might not get to see them, but you can see the way they interact with their family, the way they interact with other children. Uh, you know, I have someone who really, who wanted to be an elder in the worst way, but he was, he was way reactionary to any child who was making noise or laughing or running a little bit or anything like that. Just, he would just overreact to all of those. And it just, it really showed that he wasn't gentle and he wasn't patient, even when other children were involved. And so you you can see someone, you know, like the children can't sit down in the church because until their father tells them where to sit or they can't do certain things because the father in so much control of, of everything that takes place that the you know a, a, a father who who can give his son a look and his, and his son becomes obedient because he knows his he wants to please his father in what he's doing and another father has to pull, grab his child and jerk him out of the room because they're they're not being they're not behaving and so you can you can observe a lot of these things about how a person treats their family and interacts with their family and the idea is if they don't do that well or they do that in a method that demonstrates any of these other characteristics which which are net the negatives then it's a warning to us that they're not going to do well in the household of god they're not going to have the skills to manage the household of God. They, they, they're not ready. And, and so it's dangerous. I know I was in an assembly when I was first married, and, and one of the elders had the worst behaved children in the whole assembly, and they made him an elder. And, and it, it was like totally a, a vote of no confidence for the elders that they would ignore such an important characteristic and choose someone who there were real issues in the household with and and it was just and and it was the beginning of the end and they were just choosing elders who they wanted and not choosing elders who were qualified and it really led to destruction of that assembly and so it, it's and that's why i that's why i think it's it's so important and why we're warned about that because he actually spends verse five actually is a warning that he gives us on this very issue all right, um, not to beat a dead horse, not a novice, literally not one recently planted, not a new convert or a new believer. A man must be both mature physically and spiritually. A man that is not stable and content would not be able to resist the temptations of pride. The ability to resist the devil comes with age and spiritual maturity. The assembly can only grow in maturity to the extent that its leadership is mature. So the health of each local assembly and elder must not be a new convert or even a recent convert. The dangerous pride. Pride led to the downfall of the devil who was condemned for his pride. And so the, the condemnation of the devil is we will face the same condemnation as he did for his pride. And the Greek verb indica uh, tense indicates that that is something that, that could come on suddenly. That if you choose someone who's a novice, 
it would their 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 turn to the bad or their turn to pride would be sudden and 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 quick before you even knew it sort of idea and and sometimes you know when a when a brother gets saved especially when he's a little bit older and he's just on fire for the lord and he becomes he loves to preach the gospel. And he just wants to be involved in everything. He's really active. He seems to be a real charmer. It's easy to say, well, we're short of leadership right now. And we really need someone like this that's charismatic and really seems to get people going. And the, and the warning is to stop and, and take time and wait and not choose someone until they're ready. Amen. And, and this is a good report, a man with good reputation. So he sort of brings this all up again to sort of sum it up. And um, finally, a particular importance, a leader must have a good reputation among unbelievers. It's not enough to put on a good show with the people of the assembly. A man must not, must not lead, a consist, must lead a consistent life. I worked for a boss who was an elder of a, of a, of a community church. And he was so suspicious and so covetous or greedy and so mistrusting of everybody he, he he that when i was where i was I'd, i worked for him and someone said to me he goes he preaches the gospel a lot but his life doesn't reflect what he preaches and so his natural character in business practices led him to have ill repute among his workers because he was not gentle he was not gracious he was not patient he was not long-suffering. It, it was all about the money to him. And it, and it came across so wrong to the unbelievers that I worked with that many of them um, doubted if Christianity had any value. It, you know, and, and thankfully, some of them would say to me, they go, we see a different style in you than we see in him. How come you two are so different? It, it was a dichotomy to them to see such a difference between two people. But that's what that's what this is talking about. Uh, it's, it's important. God hates hypocrisy. And so people judge the assembly by its elders. People outside watch and examine the testimony of one that claims the name of Christ. When an elder does not live up to their expectations of a Christian, it affects the entire assembly's witness. I think, I think Paul gives us in the first... Uh, four verses and gives us all the qualifications and then I think he's saying here at the end hey here's three ways that you can watch and see how these qualifications are carried out a man that rules his own house well not a novice not a new convert lest he be lifted up with pride and a good report from those without and one thing that in, in most of you don't know my dad, or some of you don't. Um, one thing he used to say about a church or a local assembly, he said, don't judge that local assembly by what the people that go there say. Judge it by what the people in the community say about it. And I think this one is so important when it comes to uh, elders that they have a good report of those are with, that are without. I, I, I really, really think this is a, a very important one. 
I skipped one of the questions about novice. My apologies. Um, so the last question is, in looking over the qualifications given for elders and deacon, what one qualification stands out as being required of an elder and is not required of a deacon? Apt to teach. Apt to teach. Apt to teach. And, and oftentimes I see very good deacons elevated to being an elder because there is no one else and they were good deacons. So therefore, and it's sort of the Peter principle, you elevate them to a position that they ultimately fail in because they keep getting elevated and, and the qualifications for the position are, are ignored because they're good people. So you can be a really good person and not be an elder. It's not a mark of prestige. It's not that you're more spiritual than the next guy. It's none of those things. And and unfortunately, it's like it's become a badge of honor, a position of prestige that people say, well, I've been here. I'm a good person. I should be an elder. And, and if they don't get appointed as an elder, they're terribly disappointed and terribly hurt. And, and the, the, what's really important to recognize is you might meet all of the qualifications. You might be doing the work of an elder and you might not be recognized, which we're going to get to recognition of elders. It's okay. That still, that, that doesn't mean you're not an elder. In my mind, there are many people who are unrecognized or elders are doing more work as elders in assemblies than those who are recognized as elders. So recognition is not the end all and be all. The object is God wants shepherds to shepherd. And if you're a shepherd, whether the rest, whether other people recognize it or they put your name in the bulletin or they put you on the website, then the necessity is the shepherd. So uh, we started at five after, so I got one minute. In summary, all the qualifications mentioned in Timothy indicate that a man must be mature in order to, quali to qualify as an elder. He must be mature spiritually and morally, as well as mature in his ability to teach the word and manage his own house. Men such as these are the ones God has chosen to shepherd his flock. In conclusion, it is clear from the qualifications that the character of an elder is of supreme importance. That an elder must be an example of a spiritual man who has been transformed by the Spirit of God that the flock can follow. That the qualifications cover every aspect of a man's life and his Christian walk. That an elder's character is such that not only among believers, but also among those who are not believers is their reputation is to be above reproach. And so it's, it's and I'm very active in Little League and I'll tell you what I, what I teach at Little League, that one of Little League's thing is they wanna teach character. And one of the things I stress is you cannot teach character unless you have character. So if you want adults who teach character to children, Make sure you appoint adults with character to coach your children. We're not concerned about how much baseball knowledge you have. We're not concerned about how great a sport a, a player you were in your day. What we're concerned about is character. Can you teach integrity? Can you teach truthfulness? Can you teach teamwork? Can you teach humility to these children? You can't teach those things if they're not present in your life. The same in a way is true of an elder. You cannot lead an assembly spiritually if you're not a spiritual person. And what happens is we appoint people who are not spiritual people, and then they lead in other ways besides spiritually. They lead by force of will. They lead by pride. They lead by covetousness. 
they lead by these very traits that Paul's been telling us that we need to look out for. Those are the traits they end up leading by. And then we wonder why the assemblies are wrecked, why the assembly's not surviving, why people are leaving, and why there's so much struggles and, and people feel like they're, they go there, but they're, it's almost like they go there with dread because there's not a place of, of, of family and there's not a place of fellowship there that should be there. So Ray will send out questions for next week, I'm sure. Those questions have gone out already. I think uh, they've been distributed. Okay. And um, so hang on to those questions. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about Titus next, uh, next time. I'll put them on the invite for next week's meeting. And okay. I'll resend out the email that was supposed to go out so people have the recording from last week uh, to follow up on. Okay. Any, any questions or comments as we start to run over time? Clay, I think uh, when we were talking about uh, a, the importance of a man being able to uh, manage his family well, and it, it asks the question, and if he can't do that, then how can he, if he doesn't rule his family well, then how can he rule the church? No, it doesn't say that at all. How can he care for? And that's what a, an elder is doing, and he's right. caring for. And that term is used in the parable uh, or the uh, Good Samaritan uh, is said to have taken the man uh, to the inn and cared for him. And then he uh, gave uh, the innkeeper money to care for that man until he returned. There, there's, that's the idea that, you know, somebody is ill and needs to be cared for. How can, it's not a matter of uh, elders want to rule over the lives of others, but they are concerned and want to care for uh, the people who are in, uh, in the church, the flock. And yet the, authority and ruling of an elder is probably one of the most misunderstood things about being an elder and is one of the things that many many books on elders do not bring out very well one additional comment about the um, person who loves the wealth and uh, uh, why he should not be an elder uh, one of the motivations or what the what the scripture tells us about people who love wealth is that where your treasure is, where your heart there, your heart will be also. So it's not that he has wealth. That's the problem. The problem is that he's constantly chasing after it. And that shows that his heart is down here in the world. It's not up there where it should be. And it's not that you, it's not that you can, if you're wealthy, you can't be an elder because if the Lord's blessed you and, and blessed your business and you're, and you're thriving, that's not what it is, but it reflects in your lack of hospitality. It reflects that you're covetous. It's, it reflects in a number of different areas that you're, you're more concerned with this world. It, it, it means that, you know, we can't meet this because I can't take, I can't miss work or I work. 
I work late every night of the week and I can't make an elders meeting because I can't take off before eight o'clock at night. You know, someone who's not in it for the money would say, yeah, I might not be able to make every dollar that I can, but this is more important than making dollars. This is, this is a sacrifice I have to make. And, and the person who's in it for the money won't make that sacrifice. Even someone successful in business though, understands there are times he has to make sacrifices because of the priority that the Lord is first. And so it's, it's that whole picture that Rajan's painting for us. Okay. No more Clay, comments. You guys Clay, uh, visit. Clay, we, I, we received a call from our friend Lindy and we mentioned this before that she is going to be leaving on um, Sunday, driving from Joplin, Missouri, down to Oklahoma City to a clinic at which she will be fitted for her final prosthesis of her, her leg. And uh, she has asked for prayer for that, for her trip and her stay, and, and also for uh, all of the treatment that she received that will go well. I'd like to pray for her now, if we could. So, Father, we, we come before you and bring uh, our sister Lindy to you, asking that you might give her um, uh, peace as she looks forward to this. She not having, it's, it's not in her comfort zone to drive this long distance and uh, not in her comfort zone to be alone and uh, for such a length of time. We pray that you might sustain her, that you will keep her safe, that you will cause the, those who care for her to have great skill and the selection of uh, the prosthesis would be just what is right for her and that the whole thing will result in, uh, in, the, in the good outcome for her. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, another item of prayer uh, that